Well, good morning again. Oh, I hope you all are doing well. Uh, man, it's, it's awesome to, to be here and to gather with you and to preach from God's Word uh, this morning. Uh, my name is Marco. I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. So whether you're here or joining us online, welcome uh, as we gather on this 35 degree day, which is really cool. I think it's great. Um, and then on Valentine's, nonetheless, uh, which is a $27.4 billion industry. So let that affect you as you leave today. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I wish to just dive into our time. If you have been with us over the last couple of weeks, we have looked at uh, what it looks like uh, or what being a disciple of Jesus is and what discipleship means and what it looks like in a variety of contexts texts. We have been in a sermon series called As We Are Going, and it's been a series strictly on discipleship, and we have looked at everything from missional living to family discipleship to Christians maturing one another through the gospel of Christ again and again. And before I move on, and even though there's only a couple of us, I want it to be nice and loud, uh, Nathaniel did a wonderful job over the last three weeks preaching God's Word to you while I was out. So thank you so much for your faithfulness in preaching and teaching. That's a big deal. Uh, Nathaniel serves as our missional communities director, and I'm very, very thankful for him. Um, coming back to the series, uh, here at Storehouse, how we define discipleship is meeting people where they are and taking them where Jesus wants them to be. And the reason we worked through this series, today we're landing the plane, we're closing it out. The reason we worked through this series was to show that a disciple of Jesus is one who is being redeemed in every area of their life. That there isn't a space in your life or a crevice in your heart that goes unchanged. Ultimately, the goal is to be more like Jesus, to be conformed into his image. And the church vastly and profoundly agrees on this until we get to the topic of generosity, which is what we're talking about today. And before I move forward, uh, I want to mention a couple of things. I want to disclose a couple of things about generosity here at Storehouse McAllen because when, inevitably when, when we or, or any church for the, the, that I know of begins to talk about generosity and giving, people like, you know, sit up nice and straight and they get a little nervous and here we go again with the giving as if we do it regularly. But I do want to disclose a couple of things about generosity here at Storehouse McAllen in no particular order. Number one, our church has been very, very generous. Okay? Our church has been very generous, particularly last year. Your generosity was greatly needed and appreciated in the areas of uh, church planning. In the midst of a pandemic, we were able to continue to support uh, Christ Redeemer Church in Moreno Valley, California, and Refuge Community Church up in Austin. You have either met some of these pastors via video, or you have seen them preach live here uh, in, at Storehouse. And throughout this pandemic, through your generosity, we were able to continue to support them as they continued to plant, preach, proclaim the gospel in their church plants, in their contexts. 
In addition to that, uh, I want to focus a little bit uh, missionally in terms of local or local missions. Through your generosity, last year we were able to purchase material for over 250 masks to be made and be delivered to families throughout all of McAllen, including the Hidalgo County Rainbow Room. That's a lot of work. But through your generosity, we were able to do that. In addition to that, we were able to supply teachers uh, and educators with gifts just saying thank you because teachers were building the plane as they were flying it in the spring, summer, and fall semesters as everything changed and as they were expected to change the entire dynamic of, of how they were going to approach education from one week to the next. Teachers were tired. Teachers were uh, discouraged and at the same time, time we're just running on on fumes and so man we wanted to say thank you and take care of our teachers and through your generosity we were able to do that yeah absolutely when it comes to benevolence through your generosity we were able to support families who were in need whether that was with a rent check or covering utilities or simply purchasing groceries for them uh, your generosity allowed us to make sure that families were taken care of or families or individuals who needed professional help in the midst of the pandemic that we were able to cover some of those expenses for them and so i want you to know I'm not scrambling to come up with a sermon on giving because like the ship is going down. You have been very, very generous. This was just scheduled months ago. The second thing I want you to know is that today's sermon isn't to guilt you into generosity. When 2020 ended, we in our budget ended in the black. Now, if you are unfamiliar with budgeting and a little bit of finance, being in the red is bad. Being in the black is good. We ended in the black for the third year in, the row, in a row, and that was uh, due to your generosity. So thank you. That's a big, big deal. And as we have started 2021, it was a little rocky, but that's kind of a trend because everybody's getting back in and figuring how to do things, uh, figuring out how to do things. And so as we have walked into 2021, we have been hitting our mark most weeks concerning our weekly budgets. So thank you. Number three, today's sermon, though I'm not here to guilt you, Today's sermon is a challenge to you, not necessarily through generosity, but with the gospel. That's where I want to challenge you. You see, the church doesn't like talking about generosity or giving because American culture has taught us that money is private. And rather than being stewards of what God has given us, we become owners and consumers. Or... Many don't like talking about generosity because of previous experiences at other churches where, for instance, the, the preachers talked and preached about giving or finances every other week or finances were mishandled and the congregation was misled. And these experiences inevitably shape our understanding of generosity, whether it's for good or bad. 
Nevertheless, the challenge that I simply want to put on the table is that when we are looking at generosity, here is the concern. We are far more concerned with finding the answers to the areas of life that we want rather than finding redemption in Christ in every area of our life. When we preach, excuse me, when we, when we preach a sermon on sex, attendance goes up. Everyone wants to hear about sex. And you might even feel like that's kind of awkward. No, it's not because you show up, right? When we do a series through, through books of the Bible, man, there's consistency and there's faithfulness and, and that's wonderful because people want to know about spiritual disciplines. People want to know, just give me the practical stuff. Just give me the medicine so that I can do this and get better at X, Y, and Z. Tell me what it looks like to love my spouse. Tell me what it looks like uh, when it comes to spiritual warfare. Let's talk about all of these different areas of the Christian life just so that I know. And those are good areas. Those are biblical areas. And then we get to generosity. He's like, don't talk to me about that. And so oftentimes what ends up happening is that we want to pick and choose where we want to grow rather than finding redemption in Christ in every aspect of our life. And so here's the reality. Everyone is giving. The question is to who or what? Jesus tells his disciples, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what Jesus is doing isn't necessarily challenging uh, our finances, but he is challenging the condition of our hearts because this area seems to be the last part of ourselves that is redeemed and converted. Statistically, in the United States, the, the common size uh, church is between 100 and 125 people. Members, regular attendees, and then visitors, right? Out of that number, generally speaking, it is as low as 9% to as much as 20% of the church that actually gives toward the mission of that church in their context. Now, that's not talking about number in terms of wallet. That's talking about people. People who have said, I have committed to this local body. Martin Luther, the the theologian, the reformer, once said that there are three conversions necessary for the Christian, the mind, the heart, and the wallet. And I want to admit, it's a little uncomfortable preaching and speaking about generosity after 2020 and the financial hardship that many encountered, but this is where I think our text encourages us this morning. And so as I mentioned, I'm not here to guilt you. I'm not scrambling I'm not here to to, to press generosity, but I am here to challenge you with the gospel and the condition of your heart because today's text teaches, and here's the main idea, Christians are generous not because of guilt or law, but because they are captivated by God's grace for them. I'll say that one more time. Christians are generous not because of guilt or law, but because they are captivated by God's grace for them. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. So go ahead and open or load your Bible. I'm going to read it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll dig into our time. Beginning in verse 1. 
Here's what God says to the Apostle Paul. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Let me pray. Father, we begin our time by coming before you in prayer with humility and thanksgiving. Lord, thank you for this time together where we gather to worship you, to praise Jesus, and to walk in you, Holy Spirit. Lord, would you drive our mind and our heart to your scriptures this morning so that we would respond in a way that is shaped by your grace for us, in a way that highlights your glory, and in a way that demonstrates your work in and through us. We ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, let me give you a little bit of context of what's going on in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, okay? Here's what's going on. The Apostle Paul is collecting an offering from the Corinthians to help support the church in Jerusalem. In a nutshell, that's it. That's what he's doing. He is writing to them to collect support finances to help the church in Jerusalem, And the truth about this is that Corinth, or the church in Corinth, was fairly wealthy, and they were capable of giving um, beyond their means, but this wasn't exactly their strength. In fact, there were a lot of areas that weren't exactly the Corinthians' strength. If you go back to 1 Corinthians, Paul is teaching and exhorting them on several matters of the faith so that they would grow and mature in this area. In a bit, we're going to get to, to, to something similar as it pertains to generosity. So again, as he is writing to the Corinthians, he's telling them that he is collecting funds to help support a church or the church in Jerusalem. And this was an area that the Corinthians didn't necessarily excel in. However, Paul tells them, or he mentions, that the churches in Macedonia, which is about a collection of three or four of them, the churches in Macedonia who didn't have much have given in abundance to the church in Jerusalem. And the reason that they have given an abundance is not out of guilt or law, but by the grace of God for them. So let's turn our attention to verses 1 and 2. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. So that is what is compelling the churches in Macedonia to give. It is the grace of God. 
Uh, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so it is the grace of God that is compelling these churches to give towards the church in Jerusalem. In addition to that, as he writes about their joy, he's saying that it is overflowing in them. That it's not necessarily about the finances, but more about seeing their Christian brothers and sisters thrive and flourish in their faith, in their context. They are convinced through this act of grace that the gospel provides redemption in every part of their life. That even in the midst of poverty, they give abundantly out of joy, compelled by grace. The gospel has provided redemption in every part of their lives. Therefore, as disciples of Jesus, our desire should be for every part of our life to be redeemed, not simply because that's what the Bible says, but because our deepest desire is to be more like Jesus and to see other Christians grow, mature, and ultimately conform into the image of Christ. I want you to look at verse 4. Paul says that the churches in Macedonia were begging them earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints that they wanted to help the church in Jerusalem. They wanted to do more. They wanted to do whatever it was that they could so that their brothers and sisters would be cared for, so that they would flourish, and so that they would thrive. They are compelled by God's grace for them as they provide the church in Jerusalem with generosity. Additionally, here Paul is telling the Corinthians that, hey, they've grown in some areas, but he also wants them to continue growing. Let's go to verse 7. In verse 7, Paul tells them, and we're going to look at this verse several times throughout our time. He says, but in speech, excuse me, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, earnestness, and our love for you. What he's saying is, hey, these are things that you have grown in. You have matured in these areas. This is really good. I want you, look at the end. He says, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And that's what I mean by us seeking redemption in every part of our life. Because I think oftentimes as Christians, we not only compartmentalize our sin, but we also compartmentalize our, our spiritual maturity. Like, I need to grow in this area, and I need to grow in this area. And we just tend to focus on those areas as if once I get good at this, then everything will be taken care of. And what Paul is saying is, hey, as you have matured in all of these other areas, don't neglect this. I want you to excel here as much as you have excelled in these other areas. And the motivation behind excelling, growing, and maturing is the grace of God because you have clearly seen it help you in these other areas. 
You see, when, when Jesus redeemed us, he purchased our entire selves, not only a part of us. Therefore, when we deliberately refuse to be sanctified in an area of our lives like generosity, we're not only sinning against God, but we are forfeiting our sanctification by being owners and consumers rather than stewards. I want to say that one more time because I think it's very, very important. When we deliberately refuse to be sanctified in an area of our lives, like generosity, because that's what we're talking about today, we're not only sinning against God, we are forfeiting our sanctification by being owners and consumers rather than stewards. That everything you have, you have been given and you have been entrusted with it. That's the difference between a steward and an owner. An owner hoards, a consumer consumes, a steward has been entrusted with finances or resources so that they would flourish because it doesn't belong to them. The gospel compels generosity in us, not out of law, but of grace. Once again, let's look at verses 6 and 7. Paul says, accordingly, we urge Titus uh, so that he had started. So Titus is one of his disciples. <clears throat> so he should complete among you this act of grace. If you are taking notes or underlining, I want you to circle, highlight, whatever it is you're doing, that phrase, this act of grace. He says it in verse 6. He says it in verse 7. He opens up with something similar in verse 1. And ultimately what Paul is getting at is generosity is a mark of a disciple of Jesus because as disciples of Jesus, our ultimate example of generosity is the work of Jesus for us on the cross. That is uh, the main uh, source, our main example of generosity, that in love God sent his son to walk in our stead and die in our place for our sins, reconciling us to God the Father and transforming every part of us. You see, on the cross, Jesus became our sin so that we would walk in his righteousness. Not part-time, but full-time. So when we look at generosity, it's not separate from the gospel, but a part of the gospel because the Christian understands what grace is. The gospel creates generous hearts and it is grace that compels us to give generously. Not compulsion, not guilt, not law, it is our understanding of what grace is because at the cross, as sinners, we recognize our need for that grace. The gospel creates generous hearts by pointing us back to our source of generosity, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, with all of that being said, how do we then cultivate uh, 
gospel-centered generosity? How do we develop or continue to develop a culture of generosity? This question is one that we ask in an effort to stay biblical and so that we would, so that we would be repeatedly reminded of the gospel work in us. So, here are three ways in which we cultivate generosity. This is us as a church. This is you as individuals. Here are three ways in which we cultivate generosity. Here's the first one. Consecration. I said it. Consecration. I want you to look at verse 5. Actually, let's start in verse 4. So remember, the Macedonians are begging Paul. So he says they're begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So grace is compelling them to to help in relieving their brothers and sisters. And he goes on to say, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. The first way in which we cultivate generosity is consecration. And by this, I mean fully giving ourselves to Jesus, irrevocably devoting ourselves to Jesus. The Macedonians weren't giving out of guilt or compulsion, but because they gave themselves first to the Lord. That is, that their entire heart, their whole heart was given to the Lord. That the gospel affected every part of their lives for the mission and glory of God to seeing their brothers and sisters thrive somewhere far from them. The gospel has implications, not just for what they do, but who they are just as it should for us. And for many of you, this is where you need to begin. Because when it comes to getting practical, oftentimes, as I've met with individuals, they're just like, tell me how much to give. Tell me what to do. And I'm not. Because it's going to begin with where you are with Jesus. And so this is where some of you need to begin. That generosity does not begin with your wallet. Again, oftentimes people want me to give them a number or people just want me to tell them what to do. And, and the irony is, is that if some agree, then they might do something, as if I'm the one convincing them, not the Scriptures. <clears throat> they might do something. Or if no one has brought this to their attention in terms of generosity, right? if generosity hasn't been brought to their attention, they'll just continue what they have been doing. And, and the irony here is, and we'll talk more about this in a bit, is, man, we're comfortable talking about all of these wicked addictions. We'll put on the table like our addiction to porn. We'll put on the table how angry we can get. We'll put on the table all these different, I suppose, vices, all these different sins. We'll put them on the table. But when it comes to generosity, we just won't. We won't put that on the table. If generosity begins with an act of grace, then it is the Christian, it is the believer that understands that the most. Therefore, it is the Christian that ought to put that on the table because if we are forfeiting our sanctification, we know that we are sinning against God, so why not put that on the table? (laughs) 
you may need to begin by giving yourself fully to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This consecration, giving yourself fully, this is what separates the church that is believers from those who don't know Jesus. There are non-believers outside the walls of the church who are insanely generous. So then what separates the church from them? It's consecration. It's that the church has fully given herself, her whole heart, to the Lordship of Jesus. The gospel must be embedded and stamped into our heart. It is the death of self daily that we pursue because we have given ourselves to Christ. Jesus must be your Lord and King and generosity will be less uncomfortable and more gracious inside and outside of the church. The second thing is that we cultivate generosity by example. Once again, verses 1 through 2. Paul says, we want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. <clears throat> For their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Ultimately, what Paul is telling the Corinthians here is, hey, I want you to look at the churches in Macedonia and I want you to see what they are doing. I want you to excel in this area of generosity as much as they are. I want you to learn from them. And so when it comes to us cultivating generosity, it comes by way of example. And this is where we begin to become a little bit more practical this is where we begin to apply our theology, our orthodoxy to our orthopraxy. And so when it comes to example, I learned, for instance, I learned how to give uh, early on as a Christian because I surrounded myself with, or I was surrounded by other godly men who did not hesitate to be generous toward the church or those in the church. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in the church, and I was always told, just save. You got your paycheck, just save. Just save, just save, just save, just save. That was like my approach to finances. And while it is wise and necessary to save, right, I had no clue as to what it looked like to be generous. I had no biblical or theological understanding of what it meant to be generous, and so I needed to learn. And so being around other godly men and women who displayed generosity toward me as a young 21-year-old punk and learning how to give generously and learning why we give generously helped shape my understanding of what Scripture was saying and helped my understanding of how to do that on my own, how to eventually teach my family. And so many of you need an example of generosity. Like that might be where it begins. You simply need an example of generosity. And so here's what I mean by that. Maybe to begin, you need to just put it on the table. Confess this as a sin that you regularly forfeit. This is a part of your sanctification that you regularly forfeit. Some of you, it just begins with that. 
It just begins with confessing it. And you don't know how to confess about finances because that's kind of weird. Well, getting around other brothers and sisters will help you. For some of you, maybe it's not that. Maybe you can confess that. Maybe it's building a budget. Like you have no idea how to build a budget. Your building a budget is, as long as I'm not in the negative at the end of the month, I'm good to go, right? Some of you, that's, that's how you build a budget. <laughs> Some of you need to learn how to build a budget. And so over the last couple of years, I've sat down with several members in our church and helped them out with a budget. Let's look at your monthly expenses. Let's look at savings. Let's look at how we can move these funds. And oftentimes, it's generally because many don't have uh, an understanding of finances or budgeting that they find themselves in trouble. A fan, one time I was helping out an individual, and uh, I think they had maybe two, three hundred dollars worth of expenses every month, but they were spending uh, close to six hundred dollars a month just going out to eat. And the question was, I, I just can't find any money. Oh, I can find it. I will help you find it real easy. So, so, so some of you may simply need help on building a budget or you got some debt and man, I don't know how to pay that and how do I work through this? How do we consolidate? Like there are people in our church that are more than happy, more than willing to sit down and say, hey, this is how you build a budget and this is how you are going to adhere to that budget. It's going to require discipline. Some of you simply need to learn uh, a healthy or to have a healthy theology of money. Again, your theology of money is shaped by your experience on TV preachers or churches doing certain things or doing some shady things. And so that has shaped your understanding of money when your Bible is collecting dust on the bookshelf. Perhaps you need to open it, maybe do a, a study with a couple of other brothers and sisters at group. And, okay, what does the Bible say about money? What does Scripture teach about finances and wisdom in finances? So maybe you're really good at building a budget. Maybe you're okay confessing, I'm not very generous. But the reason you're not very generous is because your theology of money, your understanding of money is poor. And so, okay, then let's open our Bibles. Let, let's see what God says to us through his word about finances. Don't be convinced by me. Be convinced by his word. Some of you simply need to learn to be generous, and that just involves being around other godly men and women who are generous. That was one of the most formative things for me as a young Christian. Just being around godly people who were very generous and sacrificial at the same time, and that helped shape my understanding of finances, and it helped shape how I was going to cultivate this in my home with my wife and my son. So sometimes you just need to be around generous people. And so that means you it's kind of like community. It's kind of weird. You should be in it, right? It's not just for the purpose of like, let's dig into scripture. Sometimes it's some practical things that you need to be led by example. See, the thing is that what keeps us from growing in this area oftentimes is our pride. 
American individualism has taught us, hey, it's my money and I'm going to figure it out and I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and no one else is going to help me. Yet what scripture teaches is that we actually pursue humility, wisdom, and insight from others to help us grow in our spiritual maturity. And sometimes that means being transparent. One of the things that my wife and I have said since we got married and we began helping couples or individuals with a budget was that we are very transparent about our finances. Because like me, there are many people that weren't raised in the church or weren't raised with this understanding of generosity. And so a lot of people come into our church like, I have no idea what that looks like or I have no idea what building a budget looks like. And I will show our finances so that they can see not only where money is going, but so that they can see how we build our budget. Theirs is going to look the same, or excuse me, theirs is going to look different. They're going to have different goals. That's fine. This is merely a template. So if you need help, ask. If you need help, hang out with other people and say, man, I stink at this. Can you help me? That's all it is. It's this culture of asking. Anyway, number three. Finally, we cultivate generosity through repetition. Once again, we find ourselves in verse 7. Paul says, as you excel in everything, and he tells them, faith, speech, knowledge, earnestness, our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, we underline the word excel. Excel is work. Building repetition. We cultivate generosity through repetition. How else do you build a habit? And here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let me just be too super clear. The reason we're creating new habits, in this case, particularly when it comes to generosity, the reason we're creating new habits isn't to satisfy some preacher or so that you don't have to think about it anymore or so that you would just do it so someone else would shut up. It's not so that you would do it. It is because you are, cultivate, you are cultivating new habits because the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're cultivating new habits because of the Spirit of God dwelling in you and His work in you and uh, you developing new habits and getting reps in is the work and result of transformation. Oftentimes what I see with Christians is when we start talking about transformation, when we start talking about putting the old self to death, it's like Christians want that to happen like through osmosis. Okay, I'm a Christian, so now I don't have to do anything. God's going to do all of it, and cool, I am no longer this. Like, no, man, you gotta, you got to put some reps into it. you got to get working. Again, when we look at these other um, sins or when we look at these other vices, when we begin to talk about the practicality of them and putting them to death, we are convinced that we want to put this old self of uh, this old part of ourselves to death and we are convinced man we need to do some of this and yes God is walking us through this and we are putting this to death by getting accountability getting accountability software having someone follow up with me confessing of sin why wouldn't generosity be the same thing It's the same thing because as we grow in generosity, our motivation is God's grace for us. And because we like control or because we like to be owners or because everything in our nature is telling us not to give, we know that we want to put that part of ourselves to death. 
Why? So that we would be more like Jesus. Just like you want to be more like Jesus in all of these other areas of your life. Being a disciple means that we are finding redemption in every part of our life. Every single part. Not just the ones you want to talk about, but particularly the ones you don't want to talk about. And historically, generosity is one that the church doesn't like talking about. Growing in generosity like any other area of discipleship takes repetition. It just does. It takes repetition. However, you have a foundation to stand upon. You're not doing this blindly and you're not doing this alone or I should say you don't have to do this alone. You have Christian brothers and sisters around you to help you in this area of your life just like all of the areas in your life. Therefore, start doing the reps. Start doing the reps. For some of you, it might mean giving for the very first time in I don't know how long. For some of you, it might mean doing something as practical as setting up that online account that takes five minutes. And it's like, man, I got to get online. I got to sign this up. You will do other things longer. It takes repetition, and the motivation is grace. Put sin and your old self to death because the Spirit of God dwells in you. Generosity is not out of guilt, but grace. So, how do we cultivate generosity in our church, or how do we continue to cultivate generosity in our church? We do it through consecration, example, and repetition. If we wish to continue and to grow as a church that is, being, that is, that is known for being generous, then what is at stake is the gospel and whether or not we find redemption in every area of our heart. To be a church like the ones in Macedonia, we must hold fast to the person of Christ for us and respond to the work of sanctification in us. So, Christian, if you are a member at Storehouse McAllen or you consider Storehouse McAllen your home, and this is an area that you willingly forfeit, then confess your sin before the Lord this morning. It's not just about generosity, but what you believe about generosity. Your experiences may shape that, oh, it's unbiblical, I'll get to it later. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a consumer, I just like to take stuff. Rather, rather, than, rather than being a steward of what you've been given, what you have been entrusted with, let me just tell you, confess that before the Lord this morning. You realize, we haven't talked numbers and I haven't given you numbers. It's not my job this morning. I wanted to challenge you with the gospel. And in the midst of challenging you with the gospel, it is the Christian that recognizes the grace that they are in need of at the cross. So that's where I'm asking you to be today. And if you're visiting, you're new, 
don't want your money. But if you're a member, and you're, or you consider storehouse home, and this is an area, and, and I'm being mm, specific in that language, this is an area you forfeit. Oh, I just, I don't, I don't ever think about it. Confess that. Put that on the table. And if you're not a Christian, then uh, we don't want your money, even if you're generous. Don't want it. More than anything, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know that you can come to know him today, that you could receive a new heart and find redemption in Christ, not as a second chance, but as an act of grace for you. Unmerited favor from God to sinners. That Christ pardons any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance. So, Starhouse McAllen, we are generous, or should be generous, not because of guilt or law, but because we are captivated by God's grace for us. Let's pray. Father, we confess that our hearts are fickle. And they're fickle because we like it that way. Because it corrupts and perverts how we walk in our daily life. Yet you, through your work in us, have called us to walk in a manner that is worthy of you and your praise. Generosity is an area many of us refuse to be sanctified in. And so, Lord, we confess that before you this morning. Because that's us trying to be like who we were rather than who you have called us to be in Christ. Lord, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. God, may you have mercy on us this morning as we repent. May we delight in your will. May our generosity begin with us giving ourselves to you this morning. And may our generosity be a measure of you in us for your glory and our good. God, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.